Well, good morning, Trace. Hey, happy Independence Day weekend. Glad you're here with us. If you happen to be in town visiting family and you're joining us, maybe for your, your one and only time, welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. If, if you're local to the area and you're visiting this weekend, again, also we're glad that you're here and we look forward to connecting with you at the Next Steps area after services to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, my name is Monty Bobo, and my wife, Carlina, and I have the, the blessing of being able to lead our Rooted ministry here at Trace. Yeah, we've got some Rooted fans out there. Um, if you've not been through Rooted before, Rooted is something that we want everybody at Trace to go through at one time or another. We've had hundreds go through it thus far. We're actually entering into our fifth year of, of having Rooted, so a lot of lives have been impacted. It's coming up in seven weeks. Seven weeks from tomorrow night, we start Rooted. Registration is open. Uh, we'd love to have you go out there and register either on the website or the app and uh, to get ready for that. And in fact, we fill to capacity every time. So I would give you some advice. If you want to be a part of Rooted, plan to be a part of it early uh, so that you can uh, make sure that you are registered. We always do have a wait list, so uh, take advantage of that. If you're not familiar with what Rooted is, it's really a small group experience. Uh, we take 11 weeks to meet as groups. And one thing that I can guarantee you is that you will develop friendships and relationships that will be indispensable thereafter. Uh, there's also an opportunity for you to deepen, deepen your connection with God, as well as to better understand what your purpose is. And so uh, we'd love to have you join us uh, for Rooted. So let me go ahead and pray, and, and we'll get into today's message. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege, the blessing of being here. We're here uh, with a lot of freedoms because of a price that many, many people have paid over the years. We're thankful for our founding fathers. We're blessed to be here in a nation that still gives us uh, religious liberty and the opportunity to gather like this. So we give you thanks. We pray that you would bless this time, that you would use it, that, that uh, you would impact us uh, through the message today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're continuing our, our summer series, which is called Top 10, What Are You Looking For? And I think it's a brilliant idea. What Trace has done is partnered with a marketing firm here to understand what are the top searches on Google or other search engines for people that live right here in Colorado Springs. And we've covered some topics thus far like parenting and, and health and fitness. Uh, last week, Dr. T talked about depression. Next week, he's going to be talking about anxiety. Uh, this week, what, the search that we're going to be looking at, the top 10 search, deals with money matters. Okay, so there's a lot of things that people search for related to money. Uh, that would be things like, how can I save money? How can I get out of debt? Uh, how can I prepare for a recession and how much money do I need to retire? So all kinds of different life stages that people might be at and reasons why they're searching on money. But instead of asking Google or your favorite search engine about money, what if we could ask money itself? If money could talk, what would money say about money? Now, some of us may not want to hear from our money. Now, it, may, it may be like a disappointed parent um, maybe a parent that would say, you know, I'm not mad, I'm, I'm just disappointed. Or maybe our money would sound like a financial planner. You need to save, you need to think about the long term, here's some, need to have an emergency fund. Or maybe it's more like an accountant talking about taxes and technical aspects of, of money. What I wondered this week, does money sound like uh, Dave Ramsey? You know, that he's always better than he deserves, right? Is that what, is that what money sounds like? Well, if money could talk and told the truth, we might be surprised that what money would say matches exactly what Jesus did say about money 2,000 years ago. And it would take a whole lot more than one message to actually 
talk about all the things that Jesus said about money. In fact, money would have so much to say about itself that we would get tired of listening to money. But we're gonna make an attempt at it today by looking at three things that money would say about itself and three things that Jesus did say about money. And with each of those points, or with each of those things, there's also gonna be an action step. I'm gonna to try to make this practical for you, something that you can take away and apply, maybe either one or all three of these particular points. Now, before we get into, before we get into those exact points, um, you know, it's said that there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that believe there's two kinds of people in the world and there's people that don't. Um, there, when it comes to finances, there's, pe there's two kinds of people in the world. There are savers and there are spenders, right? Can I see a show of hand on my savers? Anybody a saver? Naturally, more of a saver. This one raised their hand really fast. Okay, so we're savers. I would have done that as well. I'm a savior. God bless you. I'm not a savior. I'm a saver. <laughs> not, not the savior. I'm a savior. Now, how many of you are spenders? Can I see the spenders out there? Well, we got some big spenders. Bunch of sinners, I mean a bunch of spenders that are out there, okay. But let's take a look at what money would say if money could talk. If money could talk, money would say, you don't own me, but I can own you. You don't own me, but I can own you. See, we're not managers, I'm sorry, we're not owners, we're actually managers or stewards of the money that's been entrusted to us. In fact, there's scriptures throughout the Bible that talk about how God owns everything and the things that he gives us, he wants us to steward those. And one of the most familiar parables of Jesus actually deals with this topic about being a good steward or a manager. And we find that in Matthew chapter 25. Now, the interesting thing here is that if you look at when the Bible was translated, of course, there were no uh, verses, there were no chapters. Over time, we added even headings to those chapters and verses. And for the most part, parables, when you look at the Gospels, there's, in the parables, there's a title for a parable. And this one over time has been called the parable of the talents. More modern NIV versions talk about it being the parable of the bags of gold, uh, the parable of the three servants, which is what I prefer because it's really talking about the servants and, and, and what they were doing with the money. But nonetheless, let's go to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15 to start with. And it says, again, it will be like, and when it says it, it's talking about the kingdom of heaven. There's a whole series of parables that Jesus has been telling here, and he gets to this one. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, in parables, there's oftentimes a character that represents God. And there are, there's a character or characters that, that represent us. And, and clearly in this parable, the man going on a journey, who's also called a master here, the master is representative of God, and the servants represent us. And it says that the master entrusted his money to him. That's why I highlighted that word there. I wanted to pay attention to the word entrusted. He didn't give it to them. It wasn't spending money. It wasn't an allowance, it wasn't a wage, it wasn't something that they earned. In fact, the servants owned 0% of the money and the master owned 100% of it. And that word entrusted means that he gave it to them as a responsibility. And it wasn't just that, hey, I'm, I'm making you responsible, he was giving them responsibility for it and was very interested in the outcome. So he basically tells these servants to manage the money the way that I would while I'm gone. That's what he wanted them to do with it. In today's context, we could think of this as a money manager or a financial planner. If you had some money you didn't know what to do with and you wanted a financial planner to help you with that, you would 
then want to check in with them periodically to see what they're doing with that, they would need to give an account. So we know from, from the story, if you've read the story before or are familiar with it, again, it's a familiar parable, that two of the servants double what they were given, and one of the servants really does nothing. And then when it's time to give an account, we see uh, here in verse uh, 19, it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me, and there's that word again, you entrusted, or you gave me a responsibility for five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then we see in the, the following verse, the, the, the servant that had two or was given two bags of gold did the same thing. He doubled it. He was also blessed. And then he comes to the servant who had received one bag and, and had done nothing. And he has to give an account of what he had done. In verse 25, it says, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. The point is not how much money each of the servants received. In fact, that is totally irrelevant to the story. What's important is what they did with what they were given. And the same holds true for us. It doesn't matter how much we have. If it's barely enough to, to, uh, to rub two nickels together or we have more than that, it's what we do with what we've been entrusted with. And if you notice, this last servant, he knew that the gold wasn't his. He said, this is yours. It belongs to you. But that knowledge, that realization was not enough. He needed to act on it. So it's possible to have knowledge that God's the owner, but not to act. So we don't own money, but we are managers. The second half of that phrase of money could talk says that money can own us. So even though we can't own it, it can own us. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll find in the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus takes quite a bit of time in what we have as chapter 6 to talk about money. In fact, Jesus would have given this sermon more than once, but we do know that for sure that he made this statement more than once, because if you look in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, he's talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and it says of them that they, they loved money. And when Jesus told them this, they sneered at him or they mocked him. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, what is it that Jesus said? He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not only possible to be owned by money, but I would say that unless we fight against it, it's the default setting of our lives. It's like when you buy an electronic of some sort and it has default settings. That, that's the default settings for an American we have so much, and it's easy to be owned by money. Have you ever looked at someone that you thought is rich? And by the way, rich is relative, and it's always a moving target. In fact, if you look at research, it's amazing to look at the research. Usually, if you ask somebody what they think rich is, it's twice as much as they have right now. No matter how much money they have, it's twice as much. So that's always a moving target. But if you've ever looked at someone that's rich and said, I would be better at rich than they are at being rich, you know, we've heard stories, we've seen stories, we see things about people that receive large amounts of money. Maybe they're a, a sports star that signs a huge contract or maybe they won the lottery, but they end up being foolish with that and they end up with nothing to show for it in the end. 
That's because our habits usually follow our pay scale. And being faithful with little proves that we can be faithful with much. So I've got a couple of charts that I want to show you, or graphs that I want to show you. The first one here, actually on both of them, you'll see that on the bottom, on the x-axis, we have time, which is the time of our lives. And, you know, look at a typical career, maybe being 35 plus years. Over time, our income will increase. And that's what the, the y-axis is for here. That usually when we start out, we make less than what we do later on in our career. Now, this is a, a, a pretty good trend here where we are spending less than we make. This is a good habit to get into, that we're spending less than we can make. The challenge comes when we always increase our spending with what we receive, the pressure also increases. It can increase, especially if that margin is very, very small. And if you tend to obligate yourself on the spending side of something that's going to increase for a long period of time, and there's a dip in the income, maybe a loss of a job or something that happens through a recession, that we find ourselves reversing this trend and we don't want to do that. The goal of this is to actually enlarge the gap. And in that gap can be a lot of different things. There can be emergency funds, there can be savings for college, all different kinds of things that can be in there. But the goal is to enlarge the gap. Now there's another example of how our current habits can follow us right up the pay scale. And that's in the next graph here. This is one that we might be familiar with as well. When our income is less than our spending, our spending outpaces what our income is. When this happens, we become a slave. And, and one of the challenges with this is some people look at this and say, well, I've got more income, therefore I have more borrowing power. Instead of looking at it, hey, I have more savings power. What we want to do with this particular type of life, with this particular type of habit is to reverse the gap and then to begin to expand it. But we've got to reverse the gap. If you want to be prepared for a recession, if you want to be able to save money, if you want to get out of debt, you've got to reverse the gap. So what action can we take on, on this first thing that money would say? If we don't want money to own us and we want to be a wise steward, well, the action we need to take is we need to spy on our money. We have to spy on our money. We've got to do surveillance. We've got to know where it's going. Where do you send it and where do you spend it? And what I mean by this is to literally write it down. Okay, for those of you that are a lot younger than I am, you can put it in an app, you can put it in something electronic if you want, but the point is, is to record that. And it's not enough to say, which I can, I, I, you probably didn't know I was a mind reader, some people are thinking, hey, I could pull this together easily. I've got bank statements, credit card statements, I've got all kinds of reports that I could go to and, and see what I'm spending. But that entirely misses the point of this exercise. Because knowing that you can know is different than knowing. And that's why we need to, 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 uh, to spy on our money. This exercise is not a budget, but there will be surprises in store. I can guarantee it. I've done this for over 30 years. Carlene and I started this from the time that we, we got married. And it's just as important to do this early on as it is at the end of your career. If you want to know how much money you need to retire on, well, how much are you spending? How long do you plan to live? Do you know how long you're going to live? And then, hey, do I have enough to make it. So the reason we should track our money is that it's not our money. We're managers. And if money could talk, it would say, you don't own me, but I can own you. Now, the second thing that money would say if money could talk is that my direction reveals your affection. My direction reveals 
your affection. How and where do you send your money? Think about that a second. How and where do you send your money? What's, what's the script for your money? Well, there is a familiar script that a lot of people follow. We've got an example here. Maybe this is the script that we have, or you know people that have this, where we spend, we pay, we save, and we give. And the reason I have spend on there first is because before we ever get paid, a lot of our money is already spoken for. So we spend first, we then pay. We have to pay taxes, okay? Part of the blessing of being in this free country that we get the opportunity to, to pay taxes. We pay for gas, we pay for groceries, we pay for a lot of different things. Then if we have something left, we can save that. And that's a great habit to get in, that we have some room for savings. In fact, some people have figured out that I can have that saving come out of my check before it ever hits me. Therefore, I'm putting it in a 401k or something that, that's going to prepare for the future. And then last of all, there's giving. Now, when you look at what the trend is here, it's you're spending, well, that's really all about me. I get to spend that money. Uh, when I'm paying for something, well, that's also about me. If I'm saving, it's not for me now, but it's for me later. And then when I give, well, that, that's for God and others. But what this script leads to is me first living with leftover giving. And it wasn't meant to be that. It wasn't meant to be me first living with leftover giving. You know, Jesus had something to say about money and affection. And we can stay right here in, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. He says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and, vermins moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus totally flips the script. He knows that, whoever, that whatever and whoever gets our money gets our attention. That wherever our money goes, a little bit of our heart goes there with it. And he's not trying to shame us. In fact, he's pointing out a principle and a fact of life that can help us because if we direct our money towards eternal treasuries, towards heavenly treasuries, our hearts will also go there. And he wants our hearts to be there. And that's a way for our heart to be there. Do you just send maybe 5, 10, 15, 20% of your income somewhere and not think about it? Absolutely not. Your hearts will go where your money goes. Jesus, I want you to hear this, Jesus is not after your money, but he is after your heart. And the best way for, the, for your Savior to take possession of your heart is to allow him to take possession of how you manage the money that he's entrusted to you. And to be clear, this way of living is not about having nothing. Some people make that mistake. Well, it means I, need to, I, I can't have anything. It's about having nothing. I need to sell everything and move to some country that I've never heard of. That's not what it's about. But it is about reprioritizing everything. In fact, in this same section of Scripture, right after Jesus said this, and he goes into uh, telling them that there's things that they seek after. There's things that we need. Talking about needing food and clothing and shelter. And it says that we worry about these things. And in verse 32, Jesus said, your father knows that you need these things. But verse 33, he says, but even though I know you need these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So the things that we worry about will be taken care of. So what should the script look like then? If we're gonna flip this script, instead of the spend, pay, save, and give, what should that look like? I would suggest that it's give, save, and then live on the rest. To give, save, and then live. And this, this leads to financial peace and freedom. And I'm very sensitive to the fact that there are people, because I know in looking at prayer requests on the prayer app, there are people going through some really difficult time, times, and you're not always able to do this. I'm not talking about giving something that you don't have. But if you do have the means and you're feeling resistance to this, I ask you to ask yourself why. Why am I feeling resistance to this script? And, and give some real thought to that. I can't answer that for you. So what action step can we take related to what money would say about our direction revealing affection? We need to tell our money where to go. You've always wanted to tell somebody where to go, right? Tell your money where to go. And that means developing a budget. That, I did, I used the B word, okay? We need to develop a budget. I know people that have been married for many, many, many years, been very successful without having a budget. I don't know how. You need to have a budget. Tell your money where to go and, and put God first in that budget. Don't just include him in the plans. Don't give him the leftovers, but make him first. You know, I hesitate to, to share personal examples, especially anything that would make people think that I've got everything put together, but I will tell you this, because th this is a fact, and my wife would tell you this as well. From the day we were married, and it will be 33 years coming up next month, We've lived on a budget. We've written down everything that we spend. In fact, we still do it, and it drives Carlina crazy at times, okay? And it is electronic now. I don't just write it down. But we keep track of everything. When you choose to put God first in a measurable way, in a way that costs you something, in a tangible way, everything begins to change. I can't explain it, but I've experienced it. I know other people that have experienced that, and I want you to experience that. I know that Trace Church wants you to experience that. that. That's part of the experience of walking with Jesus. So redirect your heart. Redirect the script to, to, to give, to save, and then to live off the rest. Because if money could talk, he would say that my affection, or my direction reveals your affection. Now the last thing that we'll look at that, that money would say if, if money could talk is I am not the meaning of life but I can add meaning to your life. I'm not the meaning of life, but I can add meaning to your life. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a parable about those who seek money to add meaning to their life. They're seeking significance out of it. They're trying to extract significance from money and from stuff. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, the context here is that there's a crowd of people around Jesus and someone in the crowd says, hey, master, can you please tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? And after Jesus tells him that that's not what he's here to do, he then says this. He says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So there's a double warning here. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And there's a lot of different ways to look at greed. A definition that I heard recently that's easy to remember is that greed is the consumption assumption. 
It's the assumption that everything that I have, everything that comes my way is for my consumption. Everything that comes your way is for your consumption. And spending is an obvious way to consume. And we have to spend money. We have it, we can spend it, and we can find joy in doing that. And that's an obvious way of, of us consuming. You know, another way of consuming can also be saving. Now, I know I've talked about saving and how important it is, but saving can be a different habit with the same assumption that it's all for me. It's not for me now, but it's for me later. And if you're not careful, if you're a little bit like me, that saving can turn into hoarding and placing trust in a bank account or in some kind of asset instead of placing it where it needs to be on our Savior. Continuing on, Jesus then goes into the parable and he's talking about those that have the and at least one man here, an example of one man that's living by the consumption assumption. He says, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now this guy's already rich and he gets a bumper crop and he didn't have to do much to get it. God provided the ground, he provided the, the, the weather conditions, the rain, everything to give this guy a bumper crop. And I'm not saying that farmers don't work hard. They work incredibly hard, but you know, in this case, he's saying, this is all up to God. God provided this for you. His question is a good one, though. He asks a good question. What shall I do? Unfortunately, he answers the question to himself. And if you look in starting in verse 18, there's a lot of personal pronouns here. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds a lot like the American dream, right? I've got a surplus. I can now take life easy. I can eat, drink, and be merry. Candidly, this sounds a lot like what I've said and thought about retirement, even very recently. <laughs> Verse 20 says, but God said to him, now God is speaking to this, this man in the story and he's saying, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. See, this man had a, a false view of both life and death. His false view of life was that you can extract meaning from your money and possessions. You can extract meaning from things. You can find meaning in those. His false view of death was that it was far away. Now, Jesus wasn't against, and he wasn't saying that there's anything wrong with saving. There's not, nothing wrong with preparing for the future and storing up things for ourselves. In fact, it would be irresponsible not to do that to have some kind of preparation. We could even applaud this guy. In fact, in contrast to Jesus, Jesus said he was a fool. We could actually applaud this guy for being wise because he now has an abundance for his family. His life was, was gone, but he was leaving it behind for his family. But Jesus said he was a fool because this is how it will be for anyone who only thinks of himself and is not rich towards God. The man didn't realize that his surplus was a tool and he didn't give any thought to using it as a tool, using it to do something meaningful. His immediate assumption, he answered himself really quickly, his immediate assumption was that it was all for his 
consumption, and he ended up not having anything to show for his life. Now, our God-given resources can be a means to an end, both in our lives right now, as well as when we're gone from this earth. It can be a means to an end, and that's why money is a tool that can add meaning to our lives. If we have some resources, it, it can add meaning to what we do with our lives and the impact that it can have. My question to you is, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? Or in the context of money, to what ends do you want the money that's been entrusted to you to be a means? Have you ever thought about that question? So what action step can we take in regard to our life being a means and our resources being a means to an end? It's what we need to do is to develop an eternity portfolio. And you're thinking, what in the world is an eternity portfolio? Well, an eternity portfolio is a place where you can plan for, what, for, the, for the ends that you want your life to be a means for. Or it can be, you can look at it just in the context of money. It's what, the ends for which you want your money to be a means. And there's three different ways that I'll look at here real quickly, three broad categories, things that need to be included in, a, in an eternity portfolio. Number one, you're giving right now. Number two, saving, investing even, to be able to have greater impact in the future. And number three, preparing for a time when you're no longer here. The first thing is in regard to giving. And if you're new to giving, haven't given, or have trouble with giving, where do I give? I, if, if I let go of that money, it's going somewhere, and I don't know what, what, what's going to happen with it. it. Maybe you're concerned about that. I'll try to give you an easy principle. Give, give to what you're grateful for and what breaks your heart. Whatever you're thankful for and whatever breaks your heart. And I could, we could spend time, which we're not going to today, and looking at where our first responsibility would be, but really the first responsibility, and we can point this out in Scripture, is to the local church, and that's something that we can be thankful for. This is a place where we come to be fed. We come to learn. We come to change. We, we interact with others that are in the community here and have an opportunity to impact lives and to be able to use spiritual gifts, and so we give out a gratitude. We give out a gratitude for the fact that we have been saved and we, we can be a part of this community. But it's also a place where we can give because of a broken heart. Because it breaks my heart that there's hundreds of thousands of people in this city that don't know Jesus and could enter eternity without him today. And by giving to this church that's trying to impact this city and trying to reach those that are far from God, I know that that is a fantastic investment. There's other things that you could give to that you would be thankful for that are not involved with the church. I, I can say from our perspective, when our kids were growing up, they went, to, they went to a charter school, 13 years at a charter school. They didn't receive the same funding as other schools. We gave to the charter school because we were so grateful for the education that our kids were receiving and grateful for what the teachers were doing. There's also several ministries that we've given to over the years. And I can say that the thing that we really enjoy doing is when we hear about a need there's lots of different ways to hear about a need that someone might have and being able to anonymously fill a gap for someone to help them through a difficult time and they have no idea where it came from, that's a blessing. To be able to pass on things to others to help them through a really difficult time. So give from a grateful heart and from a broken heart. 
Now, in regard to saving for the future, to increase the bags of gold, if you notice from the parable that we looked at, they increased that. They doubled what was given to them, what was entrusted to them. There's a lot of things you can do with some savings. You can put those into some investments of some sort, even put them into a high-yield savings account. One tool that I want to bring up to you that you may not be familiar with, and I'm not a financial planner, by the way. I don't sell any of this stuff. I don't do any of this. I use them. But I don't know if you've heard of a donor-advised fund. A donor-advised fund. It gives you the ability to move assets into a fund. Let's say it's if you receive stock options at work and you're thinking about selling those and then maybe even just giving it to the church, it'd be much better to put that into a donor-advised fund. You get a write-off. You get to deduct that from your taxes. You also get to have that grow tax-free over time, and you don't pay any capital gains tax when it is sold to give to wherever you want it to go. You get to tell it where you get to tell the money where you want it to go. So it's a donor advised fund. Think about those kinds of creative things that you can do to increase the amount of resources that you have so you can have greater impact. And the last thing that I'll bring up in regard to a tool and planning for the future, if you don't have an estate plan, get one. Make sure you have a plan in place. Or if you have an estate plan, make sure it's updated. My youngest just turned 26 this year. He's off completely off the books, including our health care plan. We updated our estate plan. We cut him out of, no, we didn't cut him out of everything, but we updated the estate plan. What an estate plan does, it allows you to tell your money where to go after you die. Those things that break your heart, those things that you're grateful for, you can prepare now to tell your money where to go if you have some left when you pass. So I I know there might be some elbowing going on out here right now. Hey, we need to do this. Do it. Because you can put yourself into a really bad situation if something unfortunate were to happen. So to wrap this up, I would say that it's, it's never too early and it's never too late to start listening to what money would say if money could talk. And certainly it's never too early or too late to listen to what Jesus did say about money. We have what he said about it. And we can be wise stewards by spying on our money. We can set our hearts on heavenly treasuries by telling our money where to go. And our lives and our resources could be a means to an end for someone else because we've developed, we've taken the time to develop an eternity portfolio. Now we're going to move into a time of, of response here. And this is something that we, we do every week at Trace. We're blessed to be able to do this Uh, One of the things that we can do, not everyone may be mindful of this, is on the app, on the Trace app, there's an opportunity to ask for prayer. And if you're here today and you're needing prayer, first of all, you could ask somebody, if you know the staff here, if you want to have me pray with you, we can pray with you here, but you can also put in a prayer request, and there's hundreds of people that have access to that that can then be praying. I would say if, if you don't have a prayer request, if you can make a commitment this week to go look at those requests and take some time to pray for them. Now, in addition to making those prayer requests, we also have the opportunity to take communion. Again, we do this every, every week here at Trace. Some people call it the Lord's Supper or it's communion. There's eight different areas around the auditorium here where we have the opportunity to go and to get these elements. What you'll find there is, is a cracker that rep, that's, represents the body of Christ, his body that was broken for us, that he gave for us so that we could live. His life was a means, his life and death was a means for us to be able to live. There's also some juice there. You can dip the cracker in the juice, or if you need gluten-free elements, those are also up here. But the, the juice represents the blood of the new covenant that was given for us. Jesus gave us 
life through the blood of the new covenant. He said that we can use these things as a remembrance of him. Just like the 4th of July is a remembrance of the Declaration of Independence, this is something we do every week to be reminded of the enormous sacrifice that's been paid for us. If you've not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, now's an opportunity to do that as well. We would love to speak with you out of Next Steps out in the docks area. It's a beautiful day with the, window, with the doors open out there. Go and talk to the Next Steps team. In fact, as we go through this, this time of response here, if you could come grab one of these white towels, you can take that out to the, the Next Step area and meet with someone there and talk about what it means to become a follower of Christ. Or maybe someone's already had that conversation with you and you're sitting here today thinking, yeah, I know they told me I just need to repent of my sins, to turn from my sins and to surrender to Jesus as the Lord of my life. And you can do that right where you're sitting. Our communion is open to everyone who's a follower of Jesus. And so we want you to take advantage of this time. Now, as you do partake, there is one question I'd like for you to ask yourself. And it doesn't have to be in the context of money. Think outside of that context. To what ends do you want your life to be a means? And then listen for the answer. Jesus gave his life for us to have life. His his death was, was a means for us. What about your life? So I'm going to pray and then feel free to go around the, to, and to find the, the elements. Keep in mind, just like on a plane, the closest exit may be behind you or on the side. There's, there's eight different places here where you can get the elements. Let me pray. Holy Father, thank you so much for the blessing of being here this morning. We love you. We're here to adore you. We're here to worship you. We're thankful that we can do that. We're thankful that we can worship you in many different ways. And one of those ways is through how we manage the resources you have given to us. I pray that you would somehow take what's been said here today and use it in people's lives and recording, spying on their money, seeing where it's going, telling it where to go, and also developing a plan for the long term. We're incredibly blessed here. There's a reason we have it. And we pray that we would be wise stewards with it. Thank you for this opportunity to have this time with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.